So excited to keep walking through the Gospel of Luke with you all. As we've come to realize, Jesus doesn't hold back at all in what he has to say. He's very direct. He's very blunt. And this is a challenging word for every one of us here. And as we walk through this challenging word, I hope we see God's good heart coming through the direct and hard things he has to say to us. Because he's both. He's holy and he's good. And those are some things, some characteristics that we're going to see about God this evening. Now what this text is about, mainly, it's about a lot of things, but mainly, is our confession. And whether or not we keep confessing Christ in the face of persecution, in the face of pressure, in the face of people who want us to renounce him. I don't know about you, but have you ever, in a situation, not identified as a Christian, or kind of held back in the shadows, and not didn't really want other people to know that you were a follower of Jesus? Is that, do you have a heart like mine that can be afraid in situations and can conceal where your true allegiance lies? Another question is, do any of you have fear that if you had to face something as awful as death, would, would you be able to do that and keep confessing Christ? I know that for me, one, one story comes up. I was spending some time with my uncle after I um, came back from, from a missions trip where I went to Israel. And he asked me what I had done in Israel. I did, well, I had actually just gone over to tell a bunch of people boldly about Jesus. And I wasn't bold with him. Can you guys hear me in the back, by the way? Okay, you can. Sorry, it just sounds a little dead up here through the monitors. Um, just thought I'd check. But he asked me why I went to Israel. And at that moment, I felt fear in my heart. For some reason, I just didn't feel like I wanted to tell him about Jesus at that moment. did not want to be obvious about my faith. And instead, I talked about something else. Maybe how cool the historical sites were or something besides talking about Jesus. My point is that my heart needs calibration because there's fear in my heart. And all of our hearts are struggling with fear. We all need calibration from Jesus to not be afraid so that we can keep confessing him even in the most severe moments. So let us turn to the words of Jesus so that he can put courage in our hearts. We can be a courageous people who are not afraid to keep confessing him at all times and in every situation. So we turn to verse 1 and it says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now at this point, Jesus' ministry is reaching pandemonium levels. There are thousands of people who are trampling him, trampling each other to get to him, like, like girls at a Justin Bieber concert are just trampling to get close to him. 
He, it could have been because, as we heard last week in Daniel's sermon, he just called out like the religious leaders who were oppressing them and making their lives awful. Like he's he's a guy who called up the guy who's ruining their lives. So now people are like, I really want to get to him. I really want to be with him. There is a ton of momentum, enthusiasm, and people are all about Jesus for now. They won't always be. They're all about Jesus for now. It'd be easy in this moment for Jesus to be like, we got a crowd. We have influence. This is our moment. Let's do whatever we can to hold the crowd. I think that's how a lot of us would respond in that situation. We're finally successful. We finally made it big. Let's focus on keeping our following. But one thing we learn about Jesus in these texts is that he is never influenced by a crowd. He is never influenced by the masses of humanity. He is never influenced by fame and popularity and success. It doesn't cause him to divert from his plan one little bit. What does it say he does? It says he began to say to his disciples first. So Jesus has a plan to reach those masses of people. He has a plan to do it. But his plan is to take a little family of his followers and repeat his life in them and then use them to make more disciples who make more disciples and to transform the crowd into people who live in love like Jesus did. So his plan at this moment is the same as his plan right now, which is to use little families like this to rescue crowds and to change the world. So this feels small. If this, if this church feels insignificant at all, just remember that Jesus turned to his disciples first. He didn't turn to the crowds first. He turned to his disciples first. This is plan A right here, what we're doing. Real relationships in this community of people who want to make disciples. Now he's going to bring up something that would undermine them, that would undermine their ability to reach this crowd and change the world. Let's take a look at what it is that would undermine them and would undermine us. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Okay, it's not very hard to figure out what the leaven is. I love how easy this verse is. The leaven is hypocrisy. <laughs> There's some harder verses, so it's nice to have an easy one. Leaven is just something you put in bread that, as many of you know, makes it rise. And if you even put a little bit in, it spreads throughout the whole loaf. So his point is, is that even a little bit of this thing is dangerous to you and everyone around you. What's dangerous to you and everyone around you? Hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is dangerous. What's hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is acting and portraying yourself one way on the outside while not being the real thing on the inside. Hypocrisy is acting like a sold-out follower of Jesus while not actually being a sold-out follower of Jesus. It's putting on a religious show instead of being a religious, transformed Christian person. Someone who intimately knows Christ and is like Christ. Church, I must warn you, please don't try to be like Christ or look like Christ. Sorry, I'm going to say it again. Please don't try to look like Christ without becoming like Christ. 
Don't try to fake it. Don't try to trick people. It will hurt you and it will hurt them. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So Jesus is saying is that you can only trick people for so long. The real you is going to come out eventually. The real you will come out for sure at the day of judgment. There won't be any hiding who you are or what you've done at the day of judgment. It will be 100% apparent what's in here at the day of judgment. So right now, right now, let's not be phony followers of Jesus who only love what is convenient and only follow him when it's convenient, but who love and follow him all the time. What he says here, nothing is covered that will not be revealed, implies, implies that who we are truly tend to comes out when we're alone or just with a select group of other people who are really close to us. I'm not concerned about who you are right now on Sunday evening when everyone else is watching. But I want you to ask, who am I when I'm alone? And who am I when I'm with just the closest people to me in my life, my family or my closest friends? This is quite a thing to preach as a pastor, who I literally stand up here and talk about God. And so please, let us examine who we are in private, see what's in our hearts, so that we can be changed completely. So we can be changed completely to be like Jesus, not just in part. Because he wants a church that is pure and genuinely like him. The real thing. Yeah. I don't know if anyone here is afraid that they're not the real thing sometimes. What I love about this text is Jesus is going to show us the key to being the real thing. You might say, am I the real thing? Am I going to hold up and confess Christ when I'm faced with violence and threats and danger? Am I the real thing? Jesus is going to give us in this passage, the key to being the real thing. And I promise you, it's not you. And it's not your grit. And it's not your macho manliness. Something much better than that is the key to being the real thing. So let's take a look at verses 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What is this fear that Jesus is referring to? He's referring to two different kinds of fear. There's a kind of fear where you can fear people or fear God. What you fear the most is what's most significant to you. What you fear the most is what's most consequential to you. So at the end of the day, when you make decisions, you break one way or the other, and what determines that is what is the most consequential to you. That which you hold in the highest esteem, that which determines what you do, is what you fear the most. 
Every one of us fears something the most. And fearing the right thing is the most important thing. There is nothing that will destroy us more like not fearing the right thing. If we don't fear God, we can't follow God, we can't know God, we can't love God. We can't be Christians unless we fear God more than anything else. He's going to talk about why we should fear him now. Let's take a look at that. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you to fear him who after he has a, killed has authority to cast him to hell. What's the point Jesus is making? The point Jesus is making is that how someone responds or how others respond when you disrespect someone, when you mistreat someone, when you act against someone, reveals how majestic they are, reveals how worthy they are of fear. So the response to acting against someone, how severe that response is, reveals how much you should fear them, how important they are, how majestic they are. I'm just going to try to illustrate this really quick. I was out the other evening on Lake in Chicago trying to do some ministry and just saw this heartbreaking thing. Um, this, this one man, um, he, he just punched another homeless man like in the face because he was angry at him. And like nothing really happened. Like everyone just kind of kept going on with their daily lives. Like I, myself and a few other people like, whoa man, you need to stop. Like please stop hurting this person. But, but sadly because um, his office, not his, not his value as a person, his value as a person is high, but because his office in life is lower, there wasn't much of a response. There wasn't much of a response to the mistreatment against him. A little bit later, I saw something really different. I was reading the news, and I saw the news that the president of France was visiting a crowd, and a man who was close to him reached out and actually slapped him across the face. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And you would not believe how many people grabbed this person that second and slammed him into the ground and immediately arrested him and charged him with all kinds of crimes, I'm sure. The higher office of that president was revealed by what happened when he was mistreated. And the higher majesty and worth of God is revealed when we mistreat him. That's the point this verse is making. Some people think they're God and they'll try to harm you or kill you to get you to respect them. And Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of them. The most they can do is temporarily hurt you. That's how much worthy their respect, that's how much respect they're worthy of. Rather, there is a God who to mistreat him results in punishment forever. That is the weight of his worthiness. That is the weight of his glory. That is the weight of his majesty. Friends, we do fear, we do serve a fearsome God. I need to remind us of that this evening. We serve a fearsome God. And it is good to remember his weight. It is good to tremble before him. It is good to experience his greatness. Do you remember in the Old Testament when he first revealed himself to his people? He came down on a mountain and there was thick darkness and there was fire and there was thunder. And the people trembled in fear. 
It's easy to forget how big our God is and to treat him lightly. And the only way we will consistently fear God rather than people if we, re if we remember how much bigger he is than people. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He's using this very powerful example to remind us how much bigger God is than people and to remind how important it is to fear him. Fear him. Fear him. Now, a lot of you might think that this is hard to understand because the Bible tells us more than anything to seek God, but I tend to run away from that, which I'm afraid of, right? But if we want to get away from what we're afraid of. And the, so the Bible tells us to seek God, but at the same time, we run away from people we're afraid of. So how, how does Jesus want us to reconcile those ideas? I think that explains his next words in our text. So let's look at these next words in this text. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are more value than many sparrows. So right after Jesus tells us to fear God, he starts telling us how much and how well God takes care of us. He brings up the example of sparrows. Somehow they live outside through the winter with no clothes or shelter or anyone serving them food and they're flying around and chirping all summer and all spring and all fall. How, how do they do that? Well, God takes care of them. God takes care of sparrows. He takes care of little insignificant sparrows. So how much more is he going to take care of you? How much more is he going to take care of you if he takes care of an insignificant little bird? And he also says the hairs on your head are numbered. If you tried to count up the hairs on your head, you wouldn't be able to. It's impossible. It's just impossible. Which means that he knows better than you do what you need and how to take care of you. He knows better than you do what you need and how to take care of you. That's the point there. So how are these ideas all fitting together? There are two different ways to fear something. There are two different ways to fear something. The first is fear without trust. Fear without trust. You cannot trust a tornado. You cannot trust a drunk, belligerent, violent man. And you are right to fear those things. And what's the proper response when you come into contact with something that you fear and cannot trust? You run away. You run away. This is not that kind of fear. The point Jesus is making is that the kind of fear we're supposed to approach God with is a fear with trust. You see his good heart here? He says he takes care of sparrows. He knows the hairs on your head. This is someone you can trust. Yes, you should fear him. Yes, you should acknowledge his grandeur. And yes, you can trust him. Which means that the proper response is not to run away from God, but to run to God. The proper response is that when you are afraid, you do not run away from God. You run to God. 
And the fact that he's stronger than all of your enemies means that he can actually protect you. We should love the fact that we can fear our Father because we can run to him for safety and he is happy to give us safety in every situation. When I was a little kid um, in daycare, so this event obviously stuck out to me because it's in my memory like 25 years later, I um, saw a father spank his child. And the child started crying and what happened next really surprised me. He he ran into his father's arms and gave him a hug for comfort. That child's father was his disciplinarian. That child's father was the most majestic, fearsome figure in his life at that point. The one with the most authority to punish. The one with the most authority. The one he had to respect the most. And yet because he knew his father's heart was good, he was able to run to him for refuge and comfort. And that's the response God wants from us. And we're going to have to know that that's the response he wants from us if we are assaulted by others and if we are faced with threats and violence and all sorts of other pressure, we need to know that in those moments we can run to God. Friends, these ideas never come together more clearly than at the cross of Jesus Christ. There's that old song that says, sometimes it causes me to tremble. Tremble, tremble, when I think about the judgment of God on Christ on the cross. What a moment that shows the holiness of God, that this was the price for sin. What a moment of tremble. And yet there's no moment of greater goodness in the history of the world, because he was doing it for you, for me, for us. This is the moment of greatest fear, and this is the moment of the greatest goodness and love of God ever. That's his invitation for you to come find refuge in him. To do it afresh today if you've been wandering from him. To do it for the first time if you've never done it before. This is what turns all of God's majesty, all of God's power from ever being against us to being 100% for us. Is the cross. All of his majesty, all of his power, all of his might is never against us, church, but always for us because of Christ. That's what the cross does to the fearsome judgment of God is it completely absorbs it, completely erases it. So now it's only the good heart of God taking care of us. It's the difference the cross makes. Is the one who should be feared most of all loves us most of all. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Even in these incredibly challenging words from Jesus, we see God's Father heart coming through to us. His fatherly heart coming through to us. And we can run to him. We can run to him. And he will protect us. Now I want to talk about how this immense fear of God, this, this acknowledging him as greater than all at all times, how does it affect us in our day-to-day lives? It, it should affect everything. Before we, before we get into the next verses, I just want to say that in moments of decision, this idea of whom you fear will determine what decision you make. It always determines what decision you make. 
when you're in a crowd of people and you're pressured to use a substance to fit in, at that moment, you have the opportunity to fear the opinions of those people and make them happy, or to fear the Lord and take care of your body and do what's right. Or you're, you're, you're in a crowd of people and it's a gossip train going on. Maybe it's a gossip train in the church because those happen in the church. Are you going to join in at that moment? Are you going to feel the pull in to, to be on the inside, to be accepted by them? Or are you going to remove yourself? Or even worse, say, brothers and sisters, we ought not to be saying these things. Whether or not you fear God more than that group of people you're in will determine how you respond to sin. How much we fear the Lord will determine how much we respond, how we respond to temptations to sin. So this idea of fearing the Lord, church, is a life and death issue. If sin kills us and fearing the Lord keeps us from sin, this is a life or death issue for us, church. How much do we fear the Lord? If we turn to the next verses, Jesus says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, that's Jesus' way of referring to himself, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. We can only have one loyalty in life. And that one loyalty is exposed more than any other moment when you are confronted with an opportunity to identify with Christ or to separate yourself from him. And what this verse is saying is that you cannot both have Christ and not identify with him. If our habit is to distance ourselves from him, to hide that we're a Christian, or even to deny that we're a Christian, according to these words, we are not Christians. We are not Christians if we cannot identify with Christ in moments of pressure and in moments where we are told not to. It is not because identifying with Christ and acknowledging Christ earns us God's love and favor. It's not what this is saying, you got to do this in order to get God to love you. It shows more than anything else whether or not you're in a relationship with him at all. If you commit to your wife and you're in a relationship with her, and someone asks you if you're married, what is the answer? Okay, so the, the, the fact that this relationship exists is shown by whether or not you acknowledge and confess him or if you deny him. And church, we must not deny him. But the sweetest thing is also true, the flip side of that. Now, when you're taking hits for being a Christian and you're identifying with Christ and you're acknowledging Christ and you're confessing Christ, Christ is confessing you before the angels in heaven. How many of you want to be confessed by Christ before his heavenly family? That's what he's doing when we, when we suffer for being with him. So I just want to bring up two examples. Two examples of ways to acknowledge Christ. One way is when you're in conversations with people 
there's just that moment where it's natural to say that you're a Christian. You guys know what I'm talking about. Don't pretend you don't. <laughs> for me, it was when my uncle was like, hey man, what did you go to Israel for? Well, fail. <laughs> and I, I just encourage you guys to pursue a big view of God that will sustain you in those moments to keep confessing Christ and letting other people know that you're his follower, no matter what it costs socially. No matter what it costs socially. Right now, it probably won't cost you financially. It might cost you your job in some situations. Um, it probably won't cost you legally, but there is social pressure out there to deny Christ. And will you identify with him? The other one that I thought of... Um, is a very complicated one to bring up. And I want to be very careful here. And I want to say that um, if you have more questions about this, if you want to talk about this more, please let me know or any of our other members know it's okay to talk through these complicated issues. But one of the biggest pressures we, the church is receiving right now, one of the biggest pressures individuals are receiving right now who follow Christ are how we respond to the LBGTQ plus movement. I want to be very clear right now. I am not talking about how we respond to individuals who are struggling with these things. The only way we respond to individuals is we love like crazy and tell the truth gently and respectfully. I'm not talking about that right now, how we respond to individuals. I'm talking about the societal social pressure we're receiving from corporate HR departments, from public schools and universities, from social media platforms, to positively affirm what God has said is not my plan and my design. So there's pressure to affirm what God has said is not my plan and my design. And we must love those who have these struggles in their lives. But the way to love is not to affirm what God has said is not part of my design. And why this concerns me is because to affirm something that is against Christ is to deny Christ. To affirm something which is against Christ is to deny Christ. Now, I don't know when this is going to come up, which is why I'm talking about it now, because we have to be prepared for those moments. But there may be moments soon where you are required to participate in an event that affirms things like this in order to maintain your employment at a job. That's going to test who you fear. That's going to test who you fear. Or we as a church, we may, we may need to be ready to take severe financial penalties to keep teaching what Jesus has taught. That's going to take fear. If anyone looked at our budget, that's going to take fear. <laughs> that's going to take fear. And our own grit, our own courage is not going to sustain us. Only God will sustain us. When we deny Christ, shrink back from him, we are showing that we don't know him. But when we're confessing him, he is glad to confess us before his angels who are in heaven. Now we get to verse 10. 
and everyone who speaks the word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Alright, that's one of the toughest verses in the Bible, one of the most fear-provoking verses in the Bible, but I'm glad it's come up. I'm glad it's come up so we can talk about it, because I know there's Christians who are afraid of this verse and ask things like, am I committed, am I in this category? So, what I think to speak a word against the Son of Man is, is something that you do before the Holy Spirit comes into your life and reveals the identity and worth and value of Jesus Christ. It's something that you do in ignorance. It's something that you do without knowing what you're doing. Blaspheme is to speak against. And praise the Lord, praise the Lord, that he forgives those who speak against the Son of Man. Because that's all of us. We all spoke against the Son of Man before we became Christians. Every single one of us did. There's no one here who was confessing his name before you were a Christian. In the words of Paul, we were all blasphemers. We are a church of former blasphemers. Welcome. That is what it is to speak against the Son of Man. On the other hand, the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What I think this means is that after the revelation of the Holy Spirit has shown you clearly who Christ is, and you understand the gospel, and you understand that he died to forgive you and heal you of your sin, and you start to follow him, and you know his power in your life, but yet you continue to speak against him, and continue to deny him, just as you did before you came to know him, there's no change in your life at all. You're in a different category. Just think of the Apostle Paul. He, he was a blasphemer. He went around and found little churches like ours and would march us all off in handcuffs and even kill some of us. Then he saw Christ at the Damascus Road. The Holy Spirit broke into his life. And from that point on, he dramatically changed. Now what if Paul had kept persecuting the church after seeing Christ? What if Paul had kept rounding up Christians after seeing Christ? I would say that's a blas that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does this apply to our verses? In the flow of the thought, in the in the in connection with the ideas in this passage, to blaspheme the Spirit is to be in the habit of denying Christ before others. To be in the habit of denying Christ before others. Because to speak against the Holy Spirit is to speak against the revealer of Christ. So if you're speaking against the revealer of Christ, you'll never be able to see it. You'll be blinding yourself. When we speak against Christ, our testimony becomes the opposite of the testimony of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is testifying to us. Christ is Lord, and our testimony is He is not Lord. And if we do that, make that our habit in life, we'll find ourselves walking down a road where we harden ourselves to the degree that we can't return to Him. Now I want to say two things. If you are worried that you committed this sin, I just invite you to return to Him right now. Because if you come back to Him, that's the evidence that you have not committed the sin. The New Testament is so clear that everyone comes to Jesus in repentance and faith is healed. I didn't see the footnote that says, unless you blaspheme the Spirit. It doesn't, it's not in the New Testament. 
So the only way you know you've committed this sin is if you refuse to come back to Christ. Come back to Him. That's how you know you haven't blasphemed the Spirit, if you're able to come back. So please, please come back. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is we should take this issue so seriously. It's a weighty thing to deny our Lord. And there's never a guarantee we'll come back to Him. There's never a guarantee we'll come back to Him. So Christ is warning us in these verses for our good to take these issues with the utmost level of seriousness. Which to me makes me a little anxious. Like, uh, am I going to have what it takes? Am I going to have what it takes at these moments? Which is what makes the next couple verses right here some of the most precious verses to us. These verses should be some of the most precious verses to us. These last couple of verses. Let's take a look at these last couple of verses. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You are completely upheld by grace right now as I'm talking to you. You're not upholding yourself. And that same grace God promises to uphold you with when you are before the authorities. When you are before the authorities and you are told to recant of your faith, right here Jesus promises that his Holy Spirit will be with you. The reason why we will not recant the reason why we will not deny our Lord is because the Holy Spirit will be with us. Not because you're strong enough, not because you have enough resolve, but because God has given you the Holy Spirit. That's the reason why we will affirm Christ in any situation, church. He is a father and he loves to give us what we need. And when you need the resolve to affirm Christ in the face of the worst persecution, guess what? That grace will be there for you. That Holy Spirit will be there with you, church. He loves to uphold his people. And there are endless stories in church history. Endless stories in church history of God upholding his people in the worst situations. We um, went back in church history. Two of the most famous women in the early church were Felicitas and Perpetua. Has anyone heard of Felicitas and Perpetua? There are two ladies from Northern Africa, which was a, a hub of early Christianity. And back then, the Roman Empire emperor decided that if you confess Christ, you will die. That's, that's the way it worked back then. And Felicitas and Perpetua were put in jail and sentenced to death. And Felicitas' father came to her each day and said, Father, just deny him. Just deny him. We'll let you go. We can keep living. You think she wanted to deny him at that point? Yet, yet the Holy Spirit was with her. She wouldn't. She wouldn't deny him. And she wouldn't do it day after day until she entered the Colosseum and faced leopards and lions and swords, and her and her friend died. Now, before she died, she asked for something to pin up her hair. 
Because back in that culture, to have your hair down was a sign of mourning. And she said, I will not mourn on my day of triumph when she was dying. So that's something the Holy Spirit likes to do. That's what I'm talking about. Normal people don't say things like that. People with the Holy Spirit say things like that. And that's the Holy Spirit we have. That's why you're not supposed to meditate ahead of time what you're going to say. Do you think she meditated ahead of time about saying it? No, she said that because the Holy Spirit filled her. And so if you're anxious right now, like, how am I going to keep confessing Christ? How am I going to keep confessing Christ when so much is on the line? Do not be anxious, church. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. To bring, wrap this all up, the main point that I want us to walk away with this evening is that fearing God above all will keep us confessing Christ before all. Fearing God before all will keep us confessing God before all. Because when we run to Him for refuge in those moments, we will find our lips talking boldly about Him in the hardest situations. I don't know about you, I've been a coward at certain points, but at other points I have said things that I was like, wow, that did not come from me. That came from God. And that's an experience I want for us to have as we look our loved ones in the face, as we look strangers in the face, as we even look judges in the face. That was God who spoke through me. Let's pray together. Lord, even in the most challenging of texts, your grace is on display. And I ask, would you please increase our fear of you? Would you please increase our understanding of your good heart so that we would run to you all the time? And give us peace that even in the most hardest of situations, we will keep confessing you as Lord. And give us the peace and confidence that you delight to confess us as your children. In Jesus' name, amen.